0: Uh, I do want to say hi to what I'm calling the Great Riverview Diaspora this morning. Uh, if you don't know what Diaspora is, that means the scattering, the dispersing of people. And we know, like, for instance, at Michigan State, at our MSU venue, uh, with Michigan State not having in-person classes for a couple of weeks, our college students are kind of scattered all over the place. And so we know that some of you are joining us online, and we're glad that you are doing that. We also know that some of our college students have wandered out to some of our other venues. And so if you see random college students uh, sitting next to you that you haven't seen before. Say hi. Uh, And also we know that there's a lot of folks at RIV. We're just getting reports in of people who are testing positive for COVID and are staying home and watching online. And so we're just glad that at this season, we're able to have in-person services and we're also able to provide online services uh, for those who are scattered and wanting to be safe and be at home too. So what I want to do is I just want to pray for our RIV family. Um, And then after I do that, we're going to stand up and read the Apostles Creed like we've been doing during this series and dive into the message. So Heavenly Father, And we thank you um, that you are not up in glory, biting your fingernails, worried about how things are going to work out down here on earth. We thank you that today, the message uh, that we have from your scripture gives us a hope, an enduring hope of our future, and so we can be confident in that. So that we just pray right now uh, for safety for our RIV fam, uh, for health for our RIV fam, um, and that you would just um, keep us connected to one another, keep us on Mission with one another, uh, even as we are scattered um, around the Lansing area and even around uh, the world. Uh, and so we just pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you would stand with me, uh, let's start by reading the Apostles' uh, Creed together. Here it is I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting, amen. You guys can have a seat. Um, If you have your Bibles... Uh, you could flip or tap your way over to the book of Acts, because uh, that's where we're going to be most of the time today. And Acts, this book, in the, it's the fifth letter in the New Testament, was a letter written by a guy named Luke. Luke was a doctor who wrote a couple different letters to a friend of his uh, by the name of Theophilus. And so this is what he says is the introduction to his letter in Acts 1, verse 1. He says this, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And so what Luke says here in his introduction is he reminds Theophilus that this is volume two, uh, that this is letter one. And and notice he, he gives us a little bit of a line of demarcation. He's like, this is what my first letter was about, which by the way, is the book of Luke that we have, the gospel of Luke. And this is what my second letter is about. Do you see the the line of demarcation? He says, my first letter was about what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. And so what this does is he he explains in, in this three verses, a summary of what Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up. And I think that this is important. So let's look really quickly at what he says. He says, first of all, that he chose his apostles. I'm gonna stop there for a second because this is gonna become really important in this message. The apostles is just another way of saying Jesus's disciples. They were called Jesus's disciples when when he was on earth because disciple uh, means someone who is a student, right? So they were his students while he was here. And then there's this transition from the gospels to the book of Acts. They are now called apostles. And apostles means someone who is a messenger or a sent one. And so the apostles were these 12 men that Jesus handpicked and gave his marching orders to. You may remember that one of them, Judas, betrayed Jesus. So by this point in the narrative, there are 11. And later in this chapter, he'll choose, they'll choose someone to replace Judas, and there'll be 12. And then later on, Jesus will miraculously pick a guy named Saul, change his name to Paul, make him an apostle as well. And, and so that was Part of the work that Jesus began to do before he ascended into heaven. Dr. Luke also reminds us that Jesus gave these apostles marching orders, that he taught them. And he says he taught them what? Through the Holy Spirit, which is significant. Jesus who is the son of God one of the, the three members of the trinity relied on the other member of the trinity the holy spirit to empower him and to guide him when he did his ministry that he began to do which we're going to see is becoming become important. <laughs> Luke says Jesus suffered which is a reminder that Jesus died on the cross that he was crucified that he was buried. He says that Jesus rose from the dead and that after his resurrection, he he appeared to not just his disciples, but to a lot of other people. We see in 1 Corinthians that one time, Jesus was around 500 people. And one of the great proofs for me of the resurrection is that Paul writes this letter and says, there's 500 plus people who saw Jesus, go check with them because most of them were still alive. And we have no evidence that anyone ever went and checked with him, came back and said, nope, they said he was dead. Nope, they they actually saw him alive. He gave many convincing proofs. And then he hung out with these hundreds of eyewitnesses. And what did he do? It says he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. You see, the Old Testament had predicted that one day a Messiah would come. And that this Messiah would be the king. And that that king would set up a kingdom. And Jesus is that Messiah. Jesus is that king. But Israel, who had been waiting for him, rejected him. And remember, one of the key things that Jesus talked to them about was this kingdom. So hold on to all of that because it will all become important. And then Luke jumps from this little introduction and says, Now we're going to get into the second letter. And if the first letter was everything that Jesus began to do and teach before he was taken up, this letter is what Jesus did afterward. And it's this chunk of the Apostles' Creed that we're looking at today. He, Jesus, ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. You see, after Jesus rose from the dead, he had a couple options. He could go into Jerusalem, jump up onto the throne, start ruling uh, his kingdom right there. And that is what his disciples, his apostles, expected him to do. As the Messiah, as the king, he could do that. He could jump onto this earthly throne and rule. But he took another path, a better path, which is a very Jesus thing to do. Look what it says, verse four and five. It says, while he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy spirit in a few days. I love this. See what Jesus says to them. He's like, I told you guys something amazing was about to go down. Wait for it. It's happening in a few days. You just have to wait for it. And and he goes, This is the thing that's going to happen. Remember how John baptized people with water? He immersed them in water. He covered them in water. He soaked them in water. In the same way that he immersed and soaked and covered them with water, God the Father is going to do the same with you with the Holy Spirit. You are going to be soaked, immersed, covered in, drenched in the Holy Spirit, and it's going to happen in a few. Two days. Now we're going to cover the Holy Spirit in a couple of weeks, so I don't want to spoil that too much. But notice this one thing: just a couple verses earlier, Doctor Luke had said what that Jesus began to do His ministry and teach the apostles through the power of this Holy Spirit. So what He's saying to His guys is, listen. The very same Holy Spirit that empowered me to teach you, that gave me the, 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 the resurrection from the dead. All that, that that Holy Spirit you are now gonna have. And this was their response, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? They're like, yo, right? Like you had the Holy Spirit that Empowered you and rose you from the dead And we have so many convincing truths to this And now it's time right We're going to march into Jerusalem together right You're going to jump up on the throne together You're going to restore the kingdom It's all going to happen And we're going to be part of that And did you notice the slight wording shift I think it's actually important Jesus it said Had been talking to them about what The kingdom of God They said to Jesus, are you going to now restore the kingdom to Israel? Now they're talking about the same thing, but that subtlety in the wording matters. Because yes, God had promised over and over and over in the Old Testament that a Messiah would come, that a king would come, that he would establish his kingdom, that he would deliver the nation of Israel. But Israel had rejected him. And that had always been part of the plan, right? But now the doors are swinging open so that the kingdom is open not just to Israel, but to Gentiles, to those who are who not non-Jewish. But before that happened, Jesus and his apostles had a path to walk. He wasn't going to just jump up onto an earthly throne. This is what it says, verse 7 He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority. Jesus basically says, yeah, that's coming, but you don't get to know when. God, the father knows when that's for him to know. And you have something to do in the meantime anyway. And then he lays out a mission for them. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is the mission. And this mission that he gave them didn't, and it couldn't, just end with these apostles. This small handful of dudes. Play this out in your mind. God talks to these 11, or Jesus talks to these 11 guys, and he says to them, you're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is kind of like the city, in Judea, which is kind of like the county, in Samaria, which is kind of like the state, play it out with me here, until all the way to the ends of the earth. He's like, you're gonna, you, 11, are gonna go share the gospel, the good news that I have for you, with every single person in existence in the entire world. Now, that does not seem to be humanly, literally possible. At least it wasn't if this gospel message and this proclamation stuck with just these 11. But of course, this is all Jesus tells them. It's great. He's like, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and even to the ends of the earth, he says, and after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of the sight. That's exactly what it sounds like. Jesus drops this bomb on the table, he's like, You will be my witnesses around the entire world, all right? And then he's like Whoop. and he just floats up. Now, I want you to just put yourself in their shoes for a second. You've been hanging out with Jesus, you expected him to go to Jerusalem, you expect him to jump up onto the throne, and he says, no, 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 God, that, that's happening, but God the Father has some timing on that. I just want you to go tell the whole world about me. Got it? Whoop. Right? What is your response? You're going to stand there like, right? And that's exactly what happened. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven. I mean, jaw down, right? And suddenly, two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. And by the way, that's next week's message, so we're not going to spoil that, the fact that Jesus is returning. But here's here's what happens. Jesus says, okay, you, you got this. You 11, you can just go tell the world about me. All right? You're going to have some power. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You'll be fine. I'm out. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they arrived, uh, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John. James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, uh, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer, along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about 120 and said, let's just stop there. Did you catch what already happened? They had already begun to pass this message beyond themselves. It started with a clear list of the 11 guys, right? These are the guys. They, they, they go up into the upper room together. It's, it's the 11. And then it says it begins to include some other people. Jesus' mom, Jesus' half-brothers, um, some, some other men and women that have been following Jesus to the point that they gathered up to 120. They were already from 11 to 120. And they were like, okay, everybody. Jesus said, we go to Jerusalem and wait. So that's what they did. And this little band grew into this larger band and they were just waiting for Jesus to do what he said he was going to do. For the father to fulfill his promise that he said he would fulfill. Jump down to chapter two, verse one. And when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Who is the they? There's actually a little bit of a debate about this. Some people think that they is the 12 disciples because at that point they had replaced the one guy already. Some people think it's the 120 I think it's the 120 for a lot of reasons. And let's see if we can see some of those as we go through uh, this text. It says, Suddenly, a sound like that of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one of them heard speaking in his own language. Okay, let's work our way through this crazy thing. And I want you again, put yourself in that situation. Jesus is ascended into heaven. That's miraculous enough. You'd seen him raised from the dead. That's miraculous enough. You're kind of used to miracle kind of things are going to happen, right? And so you know Jesus has said, you will receive some power. Just hang out in Jerusalem and the power is coming. And so they're just hanging out waiting. And then out of nowhere comes the sound of a rushing wind. Have you ever stood in like a subway tunnel and you can hear the subway start to come by and the train just rushes by you? Or you're standing out in your backyard because every Michigander, when there's a tornado, What do we do? Do we go in our basement? No, we go in our yard, right? Because we want to see it because we're dumb, right? But imagine the wind, right? The wind is howling. So imagine this huge howling wind. And then all of a sudden these flames drop out of the, the, the sky and they separate into tiny little finger flames, right? And they start hitting people's heads. This is terrifying. No matter how much Jesus has told you that you are to expect the miraculous and expect power, this is terrifying stuff, right? And so they're praying. These little these little fingers of flame land on their heads and people hear this noise. People from all over Jerusalem hear this sound coming from this house. So they all come running. It says this crowd gathers right there. and And what do they see when they come there? They see people that they don't know supernaturally speaking a language that they have never been taught. Now, the Bible talks a lot about speaking in tongues. This is the place where it tells us what it is. It is this supernatural miracle where you end up speaking a language you have never been taught. Now, watch this. This is what it says. It says, "...they were astounded and amazed, saying, "'Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans?' Now, that's important because Galileans had a very particular dialect. It would be like them saying, wait a minute, aren't these all youpers? Right? Right? you like, you hear a youper talk, you're like, I know that's a youper, right? And so they're like, and youpers don't know the language of where I, I'm coming from, right? Now, hold on to that because this is what it says. It says, "How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea, in Cappadocia, in Pontus, in Asia, and Cappadocia, and Pontus, and Asia, and Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, and Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues." By the way, this is one of a bunch of reasons why I think it was one hundred and twenty, not. 12? First of all, why? Well, because there were devout people from every nation under heaven. That's a lot of people. The list of nations they gave us here were just 14, right? And there were a lot more. And so what I think is happening here is all 120 of these men and women who were gathered together had this miracle happen to them. Now, what did Jesus said to them before he left remember he said you will be my witnesses he didn't say hey would you be my witnesses (laughs) right Jesus says you're you're gonna be my witnesses you you will be it's not are you in it's you're in despite yourself. Isn't that what just happened? The wind came through this room. These these little flames landed on their head. They didn't have to run out and and get their new iPhone app that does translate so that people could understand them. All of a sudden, they could speak languages that they didn't know. And the things that they were saying, it wasn't gibberish. They were declaring the magnificent acts of God in languages they'd never been taught. And so the people who heard them came to the only logical conclusion that they could come to. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk. Now, I don't know what your experiences with the alcohol are. Pretty much every drunk person I've ever run into just spontaneously starts speaking Swahili. Swahili. Let's stop for a second and think about this. This whole crazy miracle that just took place in the early church would not have happened if Jesus had not ascended to heaven. If Jesus had jumped on an earthly throne like they were expecting, instead of jumping onto a heavenly throne like they weren't expecting, there would have been no need for this. He could have sent legions of angels. He could, have, he could have planned so that after he, he, he resurrected from the dead, that, you know, that animals would speak languages that they didn't understand, right? A raccoon could share the gospel if God wanted a raccoon to share the gospel. But what did he do? He ascended into heaven and said, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to give the Holy Spirit to these humans, and I'm going to let them go tell people about me. And, and, and what did he say? He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. And who was in that city at that time? Devout people from every nation under heaven. So now that they have their attention, Peter, one of the apostles, uh, preaches the very first Christian sermon. You should read the whole thing when you get home. I'm just going to read a snippet of it for you, jumping down to chapter 2, verse 29. But just listen to his sermon here. He says, Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David, he's both dead and buried. And his tomb is with us to today. In other words, he's like, you can go just check out where David is buried and dig up his bones if you want to. And, and since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. That's the kingdom that they had been waiting for. That was the Messiah that they were waiting for. He says, seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. This was the prophecy of what would happen. And he said, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. In other words, the 120 of us, you can ask any one of us, we saw Jesus face to face we were witnesses to him coming back from the dead. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received what the Father has promised, the Holy Spirit, he has poured out in you what you both see and hear. In other words, it's not alcohol. <laughs> it's the Holy Spirit. That's what you guys are seeing right now. For, and By the way, I, I forgot to read this part because it's just the best. It's not in, in the notes, but right at the beginning, the first thing that Peter said, this was the introduction to his sermon. Hey, these people are not drunk as you suppose because it's only nine in the morning. It was a great joke. That was his start. Anyway, he's like, it's not alcohol. This is the Holy Spirit. He says, for it was not David who ascended into the heavens. But he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all of the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Peter declares, listen, here's the deal. Jesus died. We know that. We saw it. Jesus rose from the dead. We know it. We saw it. Jesus ascended to heaven. We know it. We saw it. And now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, fulfilling the prophecy that David had spoke until all enemies in the world are under his feet. In other words, Jesus is still at work. There was stuff that Jesus began to do in the gospels. And now Jesus is still at work. He's just working from the right hand of God the Father. The Apostle Paul later in the book of Ephesians would describe this. He said this. He said, he exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at the right hand in the heavens. Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. He goes, I don't care what authority you have, what title you have. Jesus is over you. And he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over the church. Jesus is the head of the church, which is his body, his fullness of, uh, of the one who fills all things in, in every way. What he's basically saying is all rulers, all authorities, all powers, all dominions, anybody with any title down through history is under Jesus' feet. And so is the church. And Jesus pours out his blessing through the church. Watch what he says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the power, ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working the disobedient. We too also previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts and were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. Now, this is what he's saying and you have to grab it. Despite what our world tells you, you start out dead. He says, you were dead. And then what does he say? You previously walked. And then what does he say? You previously lived, right? We had a code of ethics, a way of living that's, that we all start with. And it is every inclination of our flesh and thought. And so th- I know this is contrary to everything our culture teaches right now. But he's saying here is that our flesh, every inclination of our flesh and thoughts is not oriented toward God. Now, does that mean that everything that we think and feel, every desire that we have is sinful? No. We're all created in the image of God. He's given us good, deep desires. But what happens is we orient those things toward things on earth that we think will fulfill them. And every inclination of our heart and our thoughts and our mind is, is, is reaching for something, but all it can grab onto is death. He says, but God. You weren't just left there. But God, rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. But God, who is rich in mercy, like a rich dessert or a rich person, Right? He has all of that. What does he say? Because he loves you, he made you alive in Christ. And sometimes we hear things like, oh, every thought's and inclination of your heart is negative. And we're like, well, that's what I hate about Christianity. It says that I'm a bad person and the rest of the world says I'm a good person. And, and the Christianity is just saying um, that, 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 that the things I love are gonna kill me. But what if the Bible's right about this? And, and by the way, don't take my word for it. Ask some really, really old people, I'm serious, if they had their life to do over, whether they would orient it more toward themselves. I've sat with a lot of people on their deathbed. Never once. I'm sure they exist. But I've never met anyone who said, man, I wish I had made this more about me. There's something in our heart's orientation that tries to make it about ourselves until it's just too late, but God, rich in mercy, because he loves you, he gives you the life that you think you are getting when you are pursuing yourself. He says you are saved by grace. He also raises us up with him and seats us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Do you see what he's saying? If you are in Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are, while you're still here, also seated in the heavenlies with Jesus. You are there with him, which wouldn't have happened without his ascension. So that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of the grace through his kindness to us in Christ. In other words, Jesus has a lot more plan for you, a lot more goodness plan for you, a lot more richness and mercy and grace he wants to pour out on you. He just can't do it while you're here. He's waiting for you to get to him one day in glory, where he can pour that all out on you. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves; it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do? And what are those good works? See, we get this backwards. We think we do good so that God will love us. What we find out is God loves us so that we can do good. And what is the good? Telling other people about this Jesus who loves us. In our Jerusalem, it's just called Lansing. In our Judea, which is just called, I don't know, Ingham, Clinton, Shiawassee, I don't know what counties you live in, right? In our Samaria, in our ends of the earth, the good news of Jesus is you no longer need to worry about your sin because Jesus has that part handled. So now you can just go tell people the good news of the Jesus who loves you. Now, let's go back to Peter's sermon. Back to Acts 2, verse 37. This is their response to Peter's sermon. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent, which means turn around from the direction you're going and go the other way, and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off, and as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Do you see that? Peter preaches his first sermon, and there are 3,000 converts. And they were all baptized in water to symbolize that they too had been filled with the Holy Spirit. That just, that, think about this logistically, by the way, for a moment. This is another reason why I think that the gospel just kind of went crazy here. Because if the, uh, the 12 apostles alone, I did the math. If the 12 apostles alone did all the baptizing, right, it would have taken nine hours. That's my calculation. Because my calculation is each person who gets baptized takes about two minutes. they got to come down. they got to tell you that they follow Jesus. You're like, okay, then you dunk them. they got to get out of the way. next person's got to come down. That whole logistical nightmare is at least nine hours. But I think all 120 of them are out there dunking people. And I think as soon as someone came to Christ and they were dunked, they're like, who's next? They're in. They're doing it too. And by the time you're done, you not only have a, 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 the very first megachurch, 3,000 people, you have 3,000 missionaries who are ready to go tell people about Jesus. All empowered by that same Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles that day. And look what happened. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. I love this. The apostles were taught by Jesus and so then they passed that message down. So they devoted themselves to the message of Jesus. These 12 laid the foundation of the church empowered by the Holy Spirit and then it was passed on to others and then they had fellowship. What does that mean? They hung out. They spent time together. They loved each other. It says to breaking a bread. That means they ate, right? They hung out. They had meals. They broke bread together and they prayed. And it said everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and signs were being performed to the apostles. And all the believers were together and held all things in common. Check this out. It says, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Can you, can you just imagine? Because this has happened over and over down through history. God has done this again and again. Where a group of people just devote themselves to him, joyfully meeting together. I love the big and little here, right? They got big and little. They met in the temple. They met in their homes. They ate meals together. They they prayed together. They were joyful. They were sincere. They shared everything. They basically, when someone had need, they're like, okay, I'll take care of that need. And the community just, what happened? It said that Jesus added to their number every day. They didn't even have to add to their number every day because Jesus was the one doing it as they committed themselves to these things. You know, we're in a tricky time in history. Like I said, we have the... Riverview, Diaspora right now, we're scattered. And there are times where it's, it's hard. It's hard to think about how can we gather together in safe ways. And of course, we have different people with different opinions on what's safe and what's not. But this is my challenge. Let's not let this example go away. Let's find creative ways to gather Let's find creative ways to meet each other's needs and let's do it joyfully with sincere hearts. Jesus is not worried about what's happening next. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father and he has promised that if you've placed your faith in him, you're seated there with him. So you don't have to be worried either. I love the tone of these last couple verses. Just listen to this again. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. You see that? That means that when people looked at the Christians, they looked highly on them. They, they looked highly on them. And every day the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved. Notice what they did and what Jesus did. They were joyful and sincere as they gathered and met each other's needs and told people about Jesus. And then Jesus did the work of saving. I don't know what that's gonna look like in 2022. No idea. But I'm excited about that. I'm excited about that being part of who we are as a church again. God has done this again and again down through history. And I'm just praying that this, this gospel proclamation from Lansing to Michigan to the world might happen again through Riverview. So let's just pray for that, and then we'll continue to worship in, in breaking of bread and of song. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he didn't stay here on earth, um, but that he ascended to heaven. We are humbled that Jesus would hand us a gospel message, a good news for this world and And tell us we get to be the people to tell people about him. And so we just pray that this description of these early followers of Jesus would be the description of us. That we are joyful. That we are sincere. That we are devoted to Jesus' teachings that was passed down through the, the apostles. That we'd be devoted to prayer. That we'd be devoted to gathering together. However we figure out how to do that in this age. That we be devoted to one another and meeting one another's needs as they are presented to us. And we just pray that you would add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of God the Father where he continues to work now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.